Hi everyone, it's Ed Clancy here. Welcome to the Pursuit Line podcast. We're going to be talking about everything high performance. We've got some really interesting guests. We're going to be speaking to them about what's drove them to success, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Hope you enjoy. Hi everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Pursuit Line podcast. Ed, you've done it again, mate. You've got an absolute cracking guest for us to chat to today, Dame Laura Kenny. Where do we start with this one? Well, she's an absolute superstar, isn't she? I've always been amazed by her, I don't know if you call it resilience or just the fact that I've never once seen her throw the towel in, Phil. She's a, I was going to say stubborn, that doesn't paint the right impression, but she never gives in. I think people have a negative connotation with stubborn, right? I think it's a positive trait when you're used at the right time. Yeah. Well, I mean, some people like stubborn, I'm not going to give in as in <laughs> I always want my own way, or they're stubborn as in, no, I'm going to see through all this effort, I'm going to see through the plan, I'm going to persevere, and I'll test and adjust as I go. But I think stubborn's a really positive trait, and I reckon it's something that a lot of high-performing people have got. Yeah, honestly, back in my Omnium days, you know, when I do the bunch racing on the track as well as the team pursuit, I'd spend a fair bit of time in the pits with Laura. And she could be so far out of a race. Anyone normally just sort of let their head drop or anything like that, but almost a bit like Lewis Hamilton-esque. She seemed to perform at her best when she was up against it, mm. or she felt like she had a point to prove. And then inevitably she'd get up, do the points race, and just smash it out of the park and go away with another gold medal. She's stubborn. She positively stubborn. Positively stubborn. Yeah, yeah she, like she doesn't like to quit. Yeah, how well do you know her then? Because obviously she's married to Sir Jason Kenny, of course, the most successful British Olympian of all time. How close are you to the two of them? I think with the lads, you obviously have a fair bit of banter every time you're in the track centre and you're like, we've got the endurance guys and we've got the sprint guys. And you probably think that that sort of waters down the banter. But if anything, it just <laughs> means it kicks off more. So I know Jason pretty well. Laura, she's obviously an endurance rider, so she'd do a lot of the endurance camps on the road. I mean, there's loads of races, loads of camps we've done on the road over the years. But the truth is, Phil, we don't actually spend that much time together. British Lightning kept the men's and women's training rides separate, you know, for obvious reasons. And, you know, when you've got different training schedules and different agendas, different points in your training, I blame power cranks and heart rate monitors, mate. We've just all become so focused on the numbers. There was the odd ride we'd do. Maybe once a camp, we'd do a ride together and we'd all set off and we'd all finish together. And I used to enjoy that, yeah. We did one ride in Portugal. It was the last day of the camp and all the guys and girls were out together and it was good for a bit of banter and a bit different. And you're in touch with both of them now? Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I've spoke to Jason a little bit, perhaps two weeks ago now, about his new coaching job. Sir Jason doing it the big coach now. And just a few like hints and tips and things like that off him and... Actually, Laura sort of dived in mid-phone call to put her two cents in as well, which is actually really much appreciated. They had some great advice for me. And as you know, Phil, there's a couple of little options we had on the table yeah. at a point in time. And actually, the both of them are really, really helpful. They're the ultimate power couple, aren't they? So when they, they are, talk, yeah. I listen. Yeah. And that's the thing. I want this conversation to be about how do they fit it all in? How do you do this? You've got two successful elite athletes with a family and all the demands that come with that. It'll be really fascinating to see how they approach it. And also what the plans are for the future, you know? So yeah, um, yeah. obviously you just said Jason's coaching our GB and I believe Laura's got one eye on the next Olympics. It's only two years away. So. I believe so, yeah. Again, having just said what we've just said, she sets her sights on it. She won't give up. She won't give in. Won't better against to bring back another gold medal or two. She's already the most successful female Olympian of all time. Should she continue to Paris, I think she'll just knock it out of the park. Yeah, brilliant. Should we get into it? Yeah, let's go for it. Ah, oh, brilliant. Dame Laura Kearney, love it. 
Dame Laura Kenny, thanks so much for coming on the pod with us today. I've always been a big admirer of yours. And, you know, one thing I was talking to Phil about before you popped online here was how I've never, ever seen you throw the towel in. You never, ever give up. And that's something we'll talk about a little bit today. And also, we can probably kick off with this right here, right now. How do you do it? I struggle looking after an orange cat. And I struggled looking after an orange cat, you know, between going to training camps and track sessions and, you know, just the general fatigue and stress that came with being a professional athlete. You have that. You're highly commercial. You've got a lot of stuff going on off the bike. You've got a dog that's climbing all over you as you speak. <laughs> and you've got a family, obviously. And you have to look after Jason. I don't know. Am I mental? Like, do you have to be mental to be an athlete, maybe? Like, I always joke that I think I'm a psychopath deep down. I think there's a screw loose missing in my head. I just think you have to have that. Otherwise, there is just no way. Like you say, I rarely give up. It has to be really very bad for me to go, you know what, I'm done with that. Like, if I really want something, yeah. I'll make it work. And, like, ultimately, that's what happened with Albie. I mean, the dog's okay. That took a bit of persuading with Jason. But it really was in deep with that. He was just like, yeah, whatever. But I think even Jace thought maybe I was a little bit mad when I suggested that we should have a baby and then I'll just crack on afterwards and see what happens. In my head, I had it as an idea. I had it as a plan. I wanted it to work. I had no choice but make it work. And to be certainly honest, my family and Jason's family had no choice but get on board <laughs> because I needed the help. Good on you. There's some sort of quote I've got on my man cave wall that says something like, you don't know what you're capable of until you've got no other choice. Yeah, I like that. But I also, I'm a measured man, Laura, so I'm not sure if I'd want to take on all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Thing is, I'm more bull in a china shop. Jay's always says to me, I'm a bull in a china shop. And so, like, I always think, you can rectify things, can't you? But unless you jump in and actually try, you're never going to know. Yeah, I know from the outside world, I feel like we've made it look easy up until this point. But like in the background, it's carnage. And the amount of times that I forget things and I have to ring my mum up like, oh, I can't do this anymore. Like, please, can you just come around? Or like Jason's mum tonight, for example, I rang her yesterday and I was like, I can't cope with Jace being away. So then she delivered me dinner. It's like meals on wheels. But it's just being prepared to be like, you know what? I might fail at times, but that's fine. Because ultimately, I also got what I want. Like I wanted Albie. <laughs> Is this like something you work on, Laura? You know, I just talked about how resilient like you said if you want something you get it yeah. is that something you work on like so you know for me i'll use phil and i'll write down my little gratitude diary at the end of the day and i'll yeah. always sort of read performancey type books and you know i've always been quite into that sort of stuff laura but how about yeah. yourself is it just some sort of innate gift you've been given well yeah and i mean i know that sounds mad but yeah, yeah, yeah. like Maybe I don't care enough. Maybe that's the issue. I don't know. But when something goes wrong, I'm just like, right, whatever. On to the next thing. So, like, I broke my shoulder, didn't I? So that was Jan 2021. At an event I'm meant to be winning because that was our last qualification, obviously, for the Games. And even on the aeroplane, I just thought, Worlds, obviously, were four weeks after that. I remember messaging Paul because, obviously, Paul was our coach at the time. And I was just like, well, okay, take me out of team pursuit, but I'll still do the Omnium. And like, you just think my arm's hanging off, but I never really see anything as an issue. And I try to never really let anything get me down. Life isn't fair. And so like, there's always going to be these really crappy times. And I just sort of get over that. I'm just like, okay, well, there's not a lot I can do about that. On to the next. I don't know. Like I say, maybe I just don't care enough about things. <laughs> hey, I don't know. I tell you what, Laura, I hope you don't mind me saying this. You're not immune to nerves, are you? And sort of pre-race worries. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I reckon I'm one of the most nervous people that I know. 
life in general as well. Like, you know, so to go and do a Q&A or to go and do a talk on stage, yeah. I feel physically sick. I hate it. Like, I'm full of nerves. But, like, you know me, I like talking. So, like, why is that even the case? That but it has is. blown my mind, that Laura. Not so much the race stuff, but just getting up and doing a Q&A because, I don't know what you think, Phil. I just look at Laura and be like, wow, she's got this, like. <laughs> it's different, though, isn't it? It's different going and standing up in front of 200 business types as opposed to rattling around a wooden bowl in front of a few hundred people at London that you've done time and time again. And... I don't know about you, but sometimes the pressure or the situation, so you know, you've gone through the qualifying rounds as you get towards the final, obviously the pressure does build and probably more the pressure you put on yourself really because you've sacrificed so much to get it. But sometimes I think from a coaching perspective, we try and map those over that in terms of well, what you do to prepare for a final on the track and what you do to prepare for standing yeah. on front of a stage. Yeah, It's just another race is what we do with some of our boys and girls. But it's really, really common because it's not what you do, is it, yet? You know, in terms of what you're doing right now. You will get more comfortable with it, but you're more comfortable on your bike. Yeah. And plus, you stick that helmet on and no one can even see you. It could be anywhere. <laughs> Maybe that's what you need to do. When you're on stage, stick your helmet on your visor on and give your talk. <laughs> Get your microphone. Just give the day now to write another story about. Yeah. <laughs> but safety first, though, isn't it? I'm going to go earlier, Ed. And you have no idea what I'm going to say. No, I don't know. No, you said no. you had a question for me. It won't tell me it's what It's not it even a question. I see it already. Look at his face, Laura. Oh, no. There's only yeah. two women on this planet Ed's scared of. <laughs> one's you and the other one's my wife oh yeah 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 so i can see the similarities is my point i'm yeah. seeing it already yeah can we add katie archbold into that all oh, right okay he's yeah. gone three we've won a gold medal together two gold medals and i'm scared of katie <laughs> yeah i'm scared of katie as well yeah it's that I... go-getter mentality i reckon that a strong yeah. female is quite daunting to some men isn't it i was just wondering right Let's mm. just get on and get it. For some, yeah. Come on, let's just go on and get it. Yeah. It's here quite daunting, yeah. The bit you were saying around, well, just go and do it and you'll find out. And then you'll test and adjust as you go. But if you start sat on your ass and you don't move or doing anything, you'll never find out, will you? So... No, exactly. And like, that doesn't make me happy either. Because like, this was like the whole, like with my shoulder thing. I just thought, well, I can sit here and I can mope or I can get on with it. Because, you know, earlier I said, oh, like I think I must have some sort of psycho in me. I told Nigel, our doctor, I wasn't having it operated on. Because I just thought, if I go and get my shoulder operated on, right, that is me out for six months. Is that actually going to make me happy? Like, I'd rather take the risk. And then if I got to the Olympics and my arm was hanging off, well, so be it. Like, that was my own fault. That was my own decision. But if I just sit there, and if I don't try these things, if I don't try, like I say, having Albie, people thought I was mad. I mean, to be so loyal, when we got the dogs, I remember Shane saying to me, oh, we've got and done that for. Like, how are you going to walk them? And it was like, well, for my own sanity, I need a dog. Because Jason was obviously away that year racing cars. And Sprolo was my thing. And so I just feel like I wouldn't be happy. I would be keeping my own happiness back to please other people. Whereas I'm not for that. <laughs> Maybe I'm yeah. selfish. <laughs> no, I, I think you're a good leader, Laura, actually. You get stuff done. And if there's ever anything like either your, you know, the female team pursuit team or the endurance team, let's say, or the wider team needs to talk about or get something done or at least bring it to the attention of senior management Eight times out of ten, it's you that heads that up. I think that's a good characteristic of a leader, Phil. You've got to be decisive. You've yes. got to know what you want. And then off that comes clarity, doesn't it? And then, and then assertiveness. Yeah. And then you all move together. And if it's not quite right, you all adjust together. But yeah. somebody's got to go first, haven't they? Otherwise, nothing gets oh, yeah. done. And someone's got to grip it. Someone's got to grab it. And someone's got to go first. And yeah. I get the sense, you, Laura, you've used it a few times in terms of you just don't like wasting time. So oh, yeah, you, really do. let's sit around the track for a day and do nothing. No, no, let's have a chat and work something out. She's yeah. definitely assertive when she wants something done. 
So last week, Laura, we were out in Calpe with the Pro Noctis sponsored women's cycling team, and we did a bit of work. This is called psychometrics profiling. Yeah. You can see which people are sort of like more people focused and which people are more like numbers focused and which people are more like task focused. They're just like the Jeremy Clarkson types, just snowplow things, get stuff done. The risk of causing some offence here. I reckon when you've had enough, Laura, you're very much task focused, which is probably why I find you a little bit scary at times. But also, <laughs> like, you're definitely a doer. You get things done. I think it's really good because what tends to happen, and like I could definitely see it if you're anything like my wife. Like I think you definitely go right. We just need to get this done now. Let's just crack on. And that's probably the type of language you use and probably say to yourself. But Ed's is to go the opposite way: is to slow down and do nothing, to analyze and get more data. What you're doing at that point is working further away from each other. So yeah. you want to hurry up and he wants to slow down. That's probably that little gap of, come on, it's getting, it probably drives you potty. What are you waiting for? Let's just make a decision. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I reckon that I've bought the best out of Jace in that sort of instant because he's very much, oh, no, I'm not sure. Like, hang on a minute. Unless he absolutely is passionate about something. And then, well, I mean, Ed, you know, you've seen him. He will absolutely blow his lid if he really disagrees with something or is really passionate in the one direction. But even like, for example, him going for this job, I was like, if you don't apply, you haven't got a chance. You just have to apply. And like, it's getting to the point where I'm like shoving it under his nose because... <laughs> just sending it in for him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can see that he's like, I'm in an hour and I'm, in, and I'm like, the closing date's tomorrow. Just push send. And so I do think, like, I bring that side out of him. Like, because Jason and I are very yin and yang. Like, he doesn't really like talking to people, whereas I'll talk all day. Yeah, yeah well, to like, be fair, me and Ed were talking about podcast guests and he went, no, nah, not Jason, let's go straight for Laura. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't. And <laughs> Jason just shoot me straight down. Like, nah, 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 nah. What was his reservations about the job then? Was it just being back within British Cycling or was it the coaching? And No, I think it was making a definite decision on his career. Okay. Because he would have carried on, I think, happily, just carried on. But just even to the day of the interview, right, he really hurt his back again. And he's just been masking these pains for so long. Like, I mean, he will crack on in training. Like, so before the games, he hurt his shin. And we were just like, oh, it's just like a box standard injury. Like, it must just be a sore bone, whatever. Like, we have aches and pains all the time. And then he went and had a scan and he had like a shin splint. It's basically what female marathon runners get from brittle bones. But he'd got it from how much he was leg pressing and the constant rattle. Because even though he doesn't bounce the thing, like obviously when it pushes away, the amount of weight that Jason's then got pushing on his legs. So his muscles were basically stronger than his body could even take. And so it was getting to the point that these injuries are just becoming more and more and more. And I think when he did his back that day, like he came in and he's struggling to take a breath. Like, you know, that horrible pain where like you breathe in and you're just like, ow, like everything hurts. I think he was just like, you know what? Maybe this is fake. Maybe this is the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's good to see the difference there between Sir Jason and myself, isn't it? You know, if I've got a bit of a bad back, I'll moan about it and tell everyone. <laughs> Nobody cares like, but I'll tell everyone anyway. Jace just gets on with it and doesn't tell a soul. How's he getting on with the coaching job anyway? Is he enjoying it? He is, yeah. Like, it's funny seeing it from a different point of view as well. Like, so I'm now hearing the stories from Jace yeah. and just being on the other side. Like, I take issues to the person. So, like, if I need a wheel, I ring up Ernie, our mechanic, and I'm like, I need a wheel and I need it now. Mm. And then if Ernie sends me to Monica, I'll ring up Monica and I'm like, hello, like, I need a wheel. 
but now I'm seeing it from the other side where there's lots of things obviously that have to happen inside. I'm appreciating it, I guess, a bit more now. That it's not as simple as why the heck have they not just bought me a wheel round? <laughs> so I think he's just getting used to that aspect of it. Like the fact that he can't now just go in and ask. Like it has to be done a certain way because obviously he's a coach, not a rider. You can't be demanding all these things. Yeah, you know what, Laura? I've done tiny bits of coaching with British Cycling in January and I'm due to do a little bit more with the under 23 lads on the lead up to the World Cup in Glasgow. Yeah. But already I'm starting to see a little snapshot of the other side. After the games, Laura, I sort of rang around a lot of the guys and girls that competed and trying to get the athletes' point of view to feedback to the staff. And yeah. it was such an eye-opening experience sitting in that room with the staff and some of the conversations that followed. Understanding the other side of the argument is such a big deal, isn't it, Phil? It's the same as any job, really. Once you step into sort of management or leadership positions, you've got a whole yeah. different sort of lens on things. And mm-hmm. I think as well, somebody who's not involved in British cycling, and I'm just looking at it from the outside, I can only imagine it's in such a state of flux at the minute that the Olympic cycle's three years, so it's already compressed. A lot of people leaving, a lot of people coming in. There's a lot of uncertainty going on. So therefore, if there's a lot of uncertainty, people are just trying to do the best they can with the resources available. And it's not always perfect or the epitome of high performance. And that normally creates a lot of stress in and of itself. Yeah, and it's funny because you're three years out as well. So like from my point of view, like we've had a few things like within our squad that we've like trying to sort out. And you can't, like, you're still sort of in that funny mindset where you think you're at the games and you think everything's really important so it needs to be fixed right now. But then on the flip side, you're like, well, you do still have three years. But then if you go back again, you're thinking, well, hang on a minute, we're a year further in now than we would have been. So maybe these things should have been sorted out. And so I do feel like this cycle is, well, like you say, there's just people all over the place. There's people going, which is now a year later than it would have been. There's new people coming in. So they're trying to learn things quicker because we're now doing a shorter cycle. It all just feels a bit unsettled. Plus the velodrome shot. Yeah, it's bizarre that, isn't it? I never thought I'd see a day when the Manchester Velodrome closed for six months. It was six August, months, 12 months. Yeah. August opens again. I've got a couple of aero sessions with R&I between May, June or something like that. It's going to be weird doing track testing on Derby. Oh, you're doing it on Derby, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bizarre, yeah. isn't it? But yeah, hopefully it'll be a new wonderful place when it opens and back up, Laura. I'll have to wait and right. see what they've done. Change attack question. Laura, you've sat in a bar. Someone walks up to you. Do you know Ed Clancy? Yeah, yeah, I know Ed. How would you describe him? Um, <laughs> boring face of space <laughs> I'm only joking oh, well I'm going to embarrass you now Ed can I embarrass him yeah it's the whole point of the question Paul Jason Ed is the only person on our squad that I have looked up to since Beijing even take out Sir Chris take out Vicky P because Ed and Jason were of an age that I was like oh maybe I can do that because obviously you were both young in Beijing and I just thought, well, that could be me one day. And you both just seemed on a level where I could relate to. From that day onwards, obviously, when I stepped in the squad in 2010, just the most welcoming, friendly person. And actually, do you know the thing that used to crack me up? How much Wendy used to love you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember if it's like when you joined the squad officially, but I do remember like seeing you for the first time, Laura, like whipping around with the Team Pursuit girls. And you know me, I don't really keep my eye on the ball. I'd never heard of you. And I was like, who is this tiny little thing just like giving it the big three lap turns? And there's like, you know, Rebecca Romero, Wendy Hoovenhabel, Olympic gold and silver medalist. There's probably Joe Rousel in there as well, an absolute machine of a girl. And there was little Laura Trot at the time, just like giving them all like the hero turns. Yeah, yeah. I think I knew you were going to be pretty special at that point in time. But thanks for that. And thanks for being kind there. That's good to know. 
So I, <laughs> you walk into a bar and someone comes up to you and says, do you know Laura? How do you describe Laura? Hey, Simcoe, just a champion, just a true warrior. I've said this before to you on text messages, Laura. Like, you're the one person that just strikes me as being like super resilient, never gives up. Yeah, I'm going to throw that word stubborn in again. <laughs> Positively yeah. stubborn. Positively stubborn, yeah. You used the word earlier, Laura, and you said, maybe I'm selfish. And my, my experience with top-end performers, whatever field they work in, is you've got to be a little bit selfish. You've got to put yourself first. But then that allows you to have the space to help other people, where other people, I think, are too busy helping other people, and then they don't put themselves first, so they're not willing to put themselves forward. Is that something that sort of resonates with you in terms of there's a balancing act with being selfish? Yeah, I think so, definitely. Just even being in the team pursuit, obviously I've been in the team pursuit for a long time now. Right up until 2016, I would say I was really selfish. Absolutely everything that I wanted and needed. Maybe less so, I guess, before 2016, because that was where the team aspect started to come in. Like Joanna, she never really took control. If there was an issue, it already started to become, can I go to someone and speak to them? But like pre-2012, I was absolutely in it for me and only me. And everyone around me had to just fit in or lump it, basically. Like just friends. I obviously grew up down south. And if people had parties, birthdays, whatever, and it didn't fit, I didn't go. Because ultimately I had one goal and that was just a win at London 2012. And then, yeah, I guess before 2016, I started to take on this more of a women's team pursuit figurehead. Like, I've never been scared to go up to Shane or Dave and ask for things. So I guess that's where that sort of came from. But then post-2016 with Albie, I have to be less selfish because he is my absolute priority. I mean, I guess it's selfish in a way because when it came to going on camps and stuff, if it didn't fit with Albie, I didn't go. I just said, that's just not the way it's working. I guess I was the first person that sort of did that. Like there were some awkward conversations because it's always been, if there's a camp on your calendar, you go in. It's never been, do you want to go? You just go. And so like there was loads of times that I was just like, this absolutely does not fit with Albie. I, like, I can't go or... He had to come with. And I mean, I've got to be honest, like British Cycling were absolutely fantastic with Albie. Like they let me book Airbnbs close to where the riders were staying or if it was a massive competition, so like the World Championships or Euros, for example, they let me stay in the hotel, like with Albie and my family, which has obviously been a rule that for such a long time that we can't have family members at the hotel. And like they happily broke that for me. So I've definitely gone through this peak of being so selfish come 2012 and then going through, I guess, like a little plateau and then being like, nope, Albie is before absolutely everything and anyone. <laughs> Can you imagine being in that management meeting when someone said, right, Laura's come to us, she wants to get a hotel room. And, uh, <laughs> and they're like, we're not happy with this. You can tell her. No, you can tell her. No, no, you can. No, it's, it's easier. Just let her, let her do it. Let her do it. Yeah. <laughs> they probably felt somewhat obliged to make a concession when they think about how many medals and money. Yeah, it's just modern in, day but, thinking. Yeah. It's the way yeah. it should be, shouldn't it? I mean, there should be no barriers. I mean, this common sense says that. But I think sometimes old school leadership, old school management, and old ways of thinking die hard, don't they? And obviously, you're paving the way on the track and you've got Lizzie as well on the road just showing it as well you know it can be done if we've got the right level of support and I think 10-15 years ago you almost get ostracised the same as women in business you know it's going, oh, you can't yeah. have a full successful career and have children you know you can't get to the top of the business <laughs> it's like I'm absolute rubbish you know people are putting false barriers there it's funny because pre-having Albie, I didn't think family should stay at the hotel and stuff. Like, I was very much that person. Because British Cycling was just that way, wasn't it? To me, that is what I see as high performance as well, though. Like, we talk about going the extra mile and all of this. And that, to me, was the team. 
pre-London 2012, I would say that's the closest that squad's ever been. And it was because we did absolutely everything together, like across the board. I mean, Jason and I would never have met had it not been that way. So that is sort of what I always saw British cycling as. But then, obviously, for me, it had to change. (laughs) But I would also say that there is a level. I still would feel a little bit disappointed to say I went away. Okay, it's different now because Jason is going to be there as a coach. But if I went away without Albie, I wouldn't want my parents to stay at the hotel, for example, because I just feel like there is a line that we should still keep. Like There is some sort of professionalism that there should still be. Because otherwise you spend no time with your teammates. And like now Albie's older, I go away with the girls a lot more. I leave Albie behind a lot less. Yeah, something you said there, Laura, about you're spending time together. I think there's something in that, Phil. And it's not the same in every sport. I'll tell you that for nothing right now. When I think back to the relationship that I had or still have with the lads, you know, even the ones like back in the academy days and things like that, with Geraint and Cav, it's like just being together, living together, whether we liked it or not, just seems to create some sort of unbreakable bond and yeah. when I look back to how tight we were, you know, pre-2012, pre-16, even pre-21 with those boys, you know, I honestly feel like I'd still take a bullet for every single one of them a thousand times over. Especially cycling, it's such a lonely team sport, isn't it, as well? Because you can train on your own a lot, especially through the yeah. winter. And if you're fortunate enough to ride in at a level, you've got camps. You're suffering together for four, five, six hours on the bike. You're then resting and sacrificing together, away from family and friends. You're laying there on your bed with your feet up, resting and whatever else you got going on that you're sacrificing to get them. And I think through that hardship comes a high sense of bond yeah. and it can be accelerated yeah. really quickly because of that sacrifice. Mm. It's very, very similar to you know, my experience, not just in sport, but in the military as well, where literally today I've had a message off a guy that I haven't seen for 15 years on LinkedIn because of a post I put out. And he was like super complimentary, you know, over what we were doing. But yeah. I haven't seen him for 15 years, but I look back and I was in the Falklands with him for four months. Mm. You know, you don't break that bond. And I think it's very unique where you have those strong relationships where you might not see each other for three, four, five years longer and you bump into them and you talk to them as if you saw them yesterday. Yeah. It's yeah. just there. And I'm sure it's the same for you in yeah. sport, for sure. Collective suffering. Mm. That's what it is. For me, it had been really lonely because obviously when I moved up, I was 18. Well, I mean, you were the same, weren't you? Like, because you were part of that first academy yeah. intake. So, like, you get moved up. And, like, I didn't know anyone on that girls' academy because I was the only one of my year that got thrown into this group of girls who had known each other forever. And if it hadn't have been for other people, for example, your squad, Jason's squad, taking me in, I'd have felt so lonely. It would have been horrendous. And so when you are centralised away from friends, family, whatever, not just on camps, you're always going to have a closer relationship, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. And I think that bond does carry you through the tough times as well. And you know that team spirit is so, so important that you both know so well. But I also think you know when you haven't got it. Yeah. It stands out when you're not having those informal conversations off the bike. You're going for those coffees on camps and things like that. And I think that's a risk for some people that, for example, if you weren't able to make it work to go for a camp for two years, you would have probably missed out in terms of that bond. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a conscious effort to try and make it work, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what's the next goals for you then? You're going again? You're going for Paris? Oh, I mean, I'm trying to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's trying mean? <laughs> I mean, I'm hoping to, yeah. Yeah. I've started again now. 
I was in the gym today and our coach Pete, he's not seen me for a while. Well, like four weeks maybe. And he said that that's the strongest he's ever seen me. So I was like, okay, I'll take that. Maybe I am now on like an upward cycle, an upward trend. What did I tell you about Jim being a waste of time? It's not a waste of time. Yeah, he's probably right. <laughs> yeah, just did the work for you and your, your dodgy back. Yeah, yeah. How many gold medals do you have, Ed? <laughs> oh, wounded, wounded. I've got a question for you, Laura. If someone was to ask me what's my greatest achievement, I'd probably say something along the lines of like winning a gold medal in Rio or putting up with Phil. However, like my life's fairly one-dimensional compared to yours. You've got, you know, family success. You've got damehood. Yeah. You've got a fleet of medals. What's your greatest achievement, Laura, in your opinion? Well, Albie is my greatest achievement. We really don't work very hard at parenthood. And he's just come out like a little angel. Like I left earlier at school today and his teacher was like, oh, were you and Jason clever at school? I'm like, no, like we really weren't. <laughs> She was like, but he's just so switched on. Like, he just absorbs everything. And I was like, he's just like that. Like, he's just happened to be made like that because we do not try with him at home. So, yeah, just having a child that is actually genuinely really nice. And I know I'm biased. Of course I'm biased. But everyone says how lovely he is. He's just a really caring little boy. So he definitely. But, I mean, I can give you a cycling one if you would prefer a cycling greatest achievement. I don't know if it's a preference. I really like Uh, that. I I think. uh, But uh, what is your greatest cycling achievement, Laura? (laughs) (laughs) I would actually say it was my first world title, so 2011, in the women's team suit, because I was just absolutely thrown in. It must have only been, from that session, Ed, that you spoke about earlier, I was only on the track maybe five months. Obviously, I was a junior. I was junior world champion on the track. I wasn't just flown on a track bike. Like. But from junior to senior, I stepped up within like five, six months. And then I was world senior champion in an Olympic event. And I don't know, when I look back, I think, God, I just turned 18. Like when I look at youngsters now, it's easy to compare, isn't it? Because I've been through it. And then it's bad, but like you hear them moaning or whatever, and you think, oh, and they're saying they're having an old session. And I just think back and I just think, no, it can't be that odd. <laughs> like, because as an 18 year old, I moved away from home. And within the same space of time, I then went on to achieve uh, a world championships. So for me, I think it's that one, just because of my age, the circumstance, everything that came with it. Did belief come with it? I mean, I knew I was good. I just remember, right, the first day I got Twitter was the day before that team pursuit. I didn't know really what Twitter was or the fact that these tweets are out there forever. (laughs) And the Australians had been tweeting and tweeting and obviously they were the reigning world champions. And then I just put one out there saying, okay, but tomorrow I'm going to let my legs do the talking. And that was that. And that's what I wrote. And I was just like, a little 18 year old. (laughs) And you you did? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I just remember Abby Byrne at the time being like, Laura, these tweets go onto the British cycling website. (laughs) I was like, yeah. (laughs) I'm <laughs> <laughs> brilliant ah, good on you but that confidence you're supposed to be confident at 18 when you've had success through juniors and that you're supposed to be confident you're a little bit I suppose wet around the ears and you're just you're in your own little world your own little world of blinkers aren't you and it's only when you you know you have more experience and you get into your yeah. mid-20s and you know you have children and that you realise there's a big bad world out here that you have that bit of perspective and I think the power of storytelling what you were saying there in terms of looking back at some of the youngsters now which are older than you were at that time no doubt they're probably like 20, 21 I think that power of storytelling will be so important moving forward because I think you've got such a broad legacy, all of your generation, you know, and the generation from Gary and Brad to yourself and VP and that coming through, that sharing those stories with the next generation is going to be really, really important if there's an opportunity. And I know 
clearly they've brought Jason to do that, not just due to his experience of being a good coach, but sharing those stories. It'd be such a waste for them to be pushed to one side, that's for sure. Yeah. Can you see yourself giving it the big coach like Jason in a few years' time, Laura? I don't know. I don't know whether I've got like a coaching mentality or not. Like, I want people to do well, but this is my issue. You know, I was saying, like, I look back at these youngsters and I'm like, come on, it's really not that hard. Like, and that would be me, I think, in a coaching role. Like, I'd be a bit eye-rolling all the time and telling them to just get on with it. Like, your legs are supposed to work. You're a bike rider. You know what I mean? I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, if they're I'm, not, and you're not riding hard enough. Back on the track. Like, <laughs> and it is, like, around injuries and stuff. Like, the amount of times I hear people say, oh, my knees are, and I'm like, yeah, it's life. <laughs> Get on with it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so like... <laughs> I think there's two sides of the coin. I think we talk about this, Ed, in terms of as you're developing your own sort of coaching repertoire. You've got a directive style of coaching. So it's, no, you do this, you do that, and you get this result. So just crack on and get it done. And then yeah. you've got the really sort of indirective, which is that coaching conversation of how are you feeling today? How are you doing? What do you want to be doing today? Right, let's keep going. And both sides of those are right at the right time. And okay. I think sometimes we have too many of these developmental style coaches that are not willing to have the hard conversation mm. and just to call it out, such as your knees are supposed to hurt. Right, come on, we're still going. We're still doing that last session. Let's go. Because some people need that push. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I've seen people on our squad, people who have like been and gone. To me, I don't think achieved what they could have done. Whereas if they'd just been pushed just a little bit rather than sort of leaving it over to them to decide... And then I feel like that's it then. They've ended up basically getting kicked off in the end. But if they just had a shove, I think they would have been all right. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's where a really good coach, manager, leader is really flexible. So they'll know the person that needs to just be told straight, which obviously, because yeah. you communicate that way, you'll respect that. If someone just says oh, to you, yeah. no, Laura, come on, you need to, need to do it, you'll be like, yeah, you're right, come on. But other people yeah. do need a little bit of a fuss and an arm round and you know, a bit of cajoling and then encourage them, off they go. It's what gets the best out of that individual. And I think that flexibility within the coaching spectrum is so, so important. Yeah. You know, and that's the journey you're on now, isn't it, Ed? Yeah, I'm certainly on a steep learning curve. I'll give myself that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you'll be a good coach. Yeah, I think it's just having the awareness that whilst you might have an understanding of whatever it is, team pursuit, going around the corner fast, breaking late, throwing a good dive bomb, whatever it may be, there's certainly a knack to using the right language at the right point in time, trying to read the situation, trying to social awareness, I don't know what you'd call it, Phil, trying to gauge how other people are feeling at that point in time, you know, before you unleash some information on them. How much information is too much, how much is too little. But it takes time. It's a skill set. The more time you spend with individuals and teams, though, you get to pick up on all the nuances. I think you'd be a great coach too, and I think sometimes as coaches like for me it was not road in the olympics you've got to build up the credibility with the people you work with obviously and do a good job and therefore other people's results speak for you as a coach but when you're the likes of you two and jason etc you've already got that credibility and i was finding your own sort of coaching methodology that sits well with you as a person but also then you're already halfway there if that makes sense you know it's just a different tweak yeah got yeah it. and it comes with time and experience for sure and practice What's the next thing right on the front of your agenda, Laura? Obviously, you're back training now. I'm actually riding the National Omnium and Madison champs. Although I was riding Madison with Josie, but she's just gone and broken her elbow. Oh, I so I don't know how many British was in the race, but I think four of them crashed. Two of them I know for certain have broken. So she's done her elbow and Eleanor Baxter's done a collarbone. Right. And then right. Hannah Barnes came down in the same crash, but I don't know what's happened with her. And then that fight for Georgie as well, she's crashed in the was, same crash. Was that yesterday or Tuesday? It's a couple of days ago. It was Tuesday, yeah. Yeah, I saw the highlights. Yeah, there was one random one. They clipped a cobble and threw him across the road. Really weird crash. Took out four riders. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Class, so, classic um, Belgian racing for you, isn't it? Nah, chaos. Now. Yeah, so I mean, I'm just doing it for a laugh, really, nationals. I mean, I don't have any points, so if I want to do it in the future, I need to go out and race my bike. And nationals just seemed an obvious one, just to start with. Just in terms of, like, I just thought, I'll just go and enjoy it. Like, I don't care that I'm not going very well. Like, I'm just going to go out there and race my bike, because ultimately, <laughs> I like racing my bike. <laughs> so, I'll probably get beaten by every Tom, Dick and Harry, but that's absolutely fine for the time being. Yeah, I doubt it, Laura. You're an absolute <laughs> racer. That's a key word. I was talking my previous statement. If there was one word, racer. Right, okay. Yeah. Right, so, finally, Laura, we've had Colin Jackson here. I don't think we've asked him this question, but just for you, Laura, what advice would you have to a young up-and-coming athlete? I just think you're a great role model. You've done so well. Quite literally our most successful female Olympian of all time. <laughs> I would say to stay true to yourself because there's too many of the younger generation that are doing things because they're getting told to do it. And I just think you've got to know your own mind. Like you've got to know what you want first and foremost before you get any advice from anyone else. I like it. I was succinct. I like that. Yeah. Is it weird being a dame? Oh, yeah. Well, you're supposed to bow. Bow. <laughs> no, I'm joking. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> <And> he has. Headlands, it will be. What are supposed to do? Go to one knee? The hanger on her over here. <laughs> In his slippers. <laughs> no, I mean, it actually is a bit weird, yeah. Because you don't ever expect these things. Like, I don't go out and race my bike for these honours you know what I mean and it's just weird because I literally race a bike that's it and it just seems weird that little old Laura you know what I mean is or Trotty as everyone called me I mean can you imagine if I still have that nickname Dean Trotty Dean Trotty oh brilliant no I can see the well for both of you I think you've just inspired so many people with your grit determination your success that you do massively both of you deserve it I haven't researched this. You must be one of the youngest as well, are you? Andy Murray is the youngest. I want to say he was 28. Well, I mean, I'll actually be 30 because we're getting him on May the 12th. So it's not backdated from when they announced it. <laughs> oh, actually, I think it is because I can already use it in my name. There was loads of things I was like, oh, I don't understand. Like, there's loads of rules <laughs> about the do's and the don'ts, but you get to use it. Because I was like, what if you die before you go and see anyone, like before you get it? Yeah. But you'll still get it. So it can still go on my headstone. <laughs> it's headstone, yeah. Get down there before it's too late, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> What aren't you allowed to do just out of interest? It's just like when you can use your name, but you can pretty much yeah. use it for anything. I also got to choose whether I wanted to be Dame Laura or Lady Kenny, because as a female, when your husband gets knighted, obviously he becomes Sir Jason, yeah. but then I automatically get Lady. But because I was also getting it, they just asked me which one I would prefer. If it was Lady Laura, I'd have had Lady Laura. But it's Lady Kenny. And so, like, why do I ditch my name? That's yeah. Well, that's been Lord. in the news, hasn't it? Lewis Hamilton's changing his name, isn't he? To recognise yeah, his mum. He's adding yeah. his mum's. Is he? What's he yeah. changing to? Well, he's doing a double barrel, basically trying to retrace the last few thousand years of history, and rightly so, in terms of why is it the, the wife or the lady has to drop her name? Yeah. It's very old school, so... The thing is, though, it's complicated, because it's hard enough for me to change all my passport and licence and stuff. Yeah. We spoke about just doing a new one, just having our own family name. Because you can have anything. It doesn't have to be, like, from your side... You can literally make one up. What would you so have? Like, <laughs> you must have had some good ones. Tron and Kenny. Can't have Trenny, can you? Like, Trenny. you can't really... <laughs> There's, like, nothing... Cannot. That works well. Because yeah. oh, Lizzie Armistead's sister, obviously Lizzie Dygan, but her sister is something like Lightstead. 
because they were like maybe it was light year for all i know but i'm sure like put together it's like lightstead or something like that it's like a cool one you know what i mean like they've combined the two instead yeah 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 whereas ours just didn't and i just thought it's so complicated anyways for me changing let alone jace having to do it as well you could just change your surname on random. Yeah, yeah. can do. Is it Depot or something you do? You just play to yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, you could change your name if you really want. You can actually be Sir if you want and have your second name as Ed. <laughs> There's some sort of like ye olden rules, isn't there, associated with certain things. I'm sure if you're an MBE or an OBE, you can take a sheep or a flock of sheep over London Bridge and things like that. Is it? I thought that was if you were a thingy of the borough. They give you the key of the... Oh, oh. like a key to the city sort of thing. Yeah. I thought you had to do that to move sheep around. Ah, maybe so. We'll ask Cab because he's got a key to the Isle of Man, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a key to the House of Keys on the Isle of Man, yeah, yeah. yeah. So with Jason's new job, you want to support him quite a bit in that because I can imagine that's a steep learning curve for him too. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think you have to be the type of person... I mean, I guess because we're in the cycling world, I'm already used to him being away and stuff, but I can totally appreciate... Obviously, I've had coaches in the past that have spoke to me and been like, oh... I think whoever's struggling at home and like I can totally appreciate that now because it isn't just a nine to five. Like if you want a nine to five job, do not get involved in sport because ultimately those athletes want you on the end of the phone. And I think I'm appreciating that even more so watching Jace almost, but it's just being like relaxed about it. Obviously there'll be times when I go away and he won't be able to speak to me 24 seven. It's just an adjustment in our life. But, I mean, so far it seems to be working. I mean, he seems genuinely really happy. I think initially he was struggling with the giving up the bike riding. But I think now the weight has just been lifted off and he's just starting a new chapter. Yeah, it seems to be like a six-month point, especially if you've got something to focus on. You were the same, Ed, weren't you? In terms yeah. of meandering through, you had to make some big decisions and then you sort of find your feet and go, all right, this is what I want to do next. It might not be forever. This is what I want yeah. to do next. It gives me that focus. You must be thinking back, it was so much easier as a bike rider because you just train, ride your bike, don't you? Eat and sleep. Oh, yeah. When you're in it, it seems complicated, doesn't it? But I think now he's out of it, he's like, wow, life was so simple. Like, you just get up, you train, you have lunch, you train again, you go to bed. <laughs> Whereas, obviously, as a coach, anything can get thrown at him. Yeah, that must be a good perspective for you, but obviously you've got a whole world outside of cycling now, so it's not just those basics for you. You've got a whole family to run too. Oh, yeah. It's even more cottage, I guess, when Jason is away. Like, I'm just noticing. For me, it's just now getting used to leaning on the grandparents again. Like, we had a really big period of time after the games where we just lived. Like, it was just Jason and I and Albie at home. And so, like, we didn't really need the grandparents that much anymore. Whereas with Jace being away, well, like I said earlier on in the podcast, with just reading Jason's mum and being like, I could really do with some food. <laughs> we are practically starving to death. <laughs> and then she delivered us food. It's just getting used to relying on these people again. Good old grandparents, eh? Good old grandparents. What would you do without them? I feel we could talk all night, really, because there's so many things, especially your two, obviously, knowing each other inside out. But Reciting the old golden stories, Phil. Yeah, and rightly so, because it was. I mean, Laura, I'm a cycling fan. You know, I've followed it. I've sat at the end of the TV watching all of you on the road as well as on the track. You, without a doubt, an inspiration to not just the next generation of girls, but to boys as well. And you and your better half over there, or lesser half, I should say. It's been fantastic to talk to you and lovely to meet you. And I really want to thank you for your time tonight. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Laura. Absolute champion on and off the bike there. I think the one takeaway I'm getting from Laura is just that proactive approach that she has. You know, it carries well on and off the bike. And yeah, I liked what you said there about your family being your greatest achievement. That was an absolute golden nugget there. 
And, you know, in terms of like your advice for sort of future athletes coming through and things like that, staying true to yourself. Good on you, Laura. Yeah. Champion. Love it. My mind for that was go get shit done, basically, wasn't it? Make a start and then you'll find out. You'll get some feedback and adjust. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Ed. Bye. So, Ed, Dame Laura Kenny, I loved that chat for many reasons. And I think one of the main ones was it was just a different style of conversation. I mean, we know that we've talked to some inspirational people and really successful people and probably nobody more successful than Laura, but she was just really easy to talk to. Yeah, I think that's why she's such a commercial success and she has been in the past. She's just happy, she's bubbly, she giggles, she's fun, she's good to be around. You know, people want to be associated with her, but she's definitely a winner as well and you know, she gets things done. That was one big takeaway from Laura. She gets things done, you know. She's a taskmaster, you know, she's proactive. And she doesn't like sitting there and waiting, you know, when things are taking too long. Yeah, I think it's that flexibility of being the team captain, team leader, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, we're serious, game time now, so we're working, we've got our head on it. But then there's that ability to have that bit of character and a laugh and a giggle after when you've done your work and celebrate it, you know, to yeah, a certain yeah. degree. Yeah. But somebody has to drive it, don't they? And she definitely seems to be one that's a bit of a go-getter. No, I think anyone's born to be the leader, but she's definitely been the leader of that team, you know. And, you know, she spoke a little about Joe Rousel in there. And Joe, she was the eldest girl in the team. She's well-educated, smart girl. But as Laura said yesterday, compared to Laura, at least, she was relatively shy and retiring. And, you know, everyone loves Joe. But Laura was like the boss, <laughs> even though she was just a little sort of punchy teenager at the time. You know, she quite quickly stepped into that leadership role. And, yeah, I think her character's just made for it. Yeah, definitely. And uh, even more admiration for the both of them with her and her husband, Sir Jason in terms of just managing their lives and the children and, you know, careers and coaching. That was pretty phenomenal, isn't it? It is. I don't know how they managed it, honestly. It was actually interesting to hear her say that it was just chaos. Like, it looked <laughs> like, you know, from the outside, it looked like they did a great job and it was easy for them, in her words. But to be fair, it does look like that from the outside. You sort of see them, even when you're there, like, on the front line with them in track centre and doing the races, you're just like, oh, here comes Jason Laura again to win the big gold medals. In the sort of day-to-day -day track sessions, they sort of waltz in as if, you just assume that they've slept well and had a nice steady breakfast and done their little ride in the morning and then cruised in the car to the track session. But I think behind the scenes, it has just been chaos, hasn't it? And I wouldn't know myself, but I can imagine that's what family life's like for many people. <laughs> Very listening, yeah, how do you juggle it? You know, you're getting up in the morning, you're trying to feed everybody. You sometimes forget to feed yourself. You know, you're kicking the kids into the car, not literally. Yeah. And then you're dropping them off for school or daycare or, you know, off to the grandparents. And then you're off doing your day job and you feel like you've done a day shift before you walk through the office. So, yeah, I think a lot of those main takeaways in terms of whilst it looks really successful on the outside, there's a lot of carnage behind it. And that's OK. It's just getting through yeah. each day. And I love the bit where she was like, I didn't even have dinner planned tonight. So the grandparents <laughs> brought a meal around for me just to help out. And it just goes to show that yeah. there's so much going on that we just got to do the best we can. But I really loved that. I think she's somebody that would be really easy to get on with. Yeah, definitely. One thing we forgot to mention as well, she actually forgot she was going to do the pod with us. <laughs> yesterday <laughs> and in the space of 15 minutes she somehow managed to like get dressed got a branded t-shirt on and smashed it out of the park didn't she so yeah. Late work. yeah good on it yeah. i really enjoyed that so we hope you enjoyed it too you know we were ever so lucky to have someone like dame laura on with all the gold medals and can you imagine being in that house though with all the gold i wonder if they're stashed away in a carrier bag they had in the back of their wardrobe a bit like yours how many have they got for that? I, I can't keep track. Jason got seven. Seven just, and Laura's got five. She's not far behind. Is she six, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, we should have done this as a bit of research, I suppose. But yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll do it as a bit of a pop quiz. On, they got too on many. That's why we lose count. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah 13 yeah. in one household. I There's mean, no pressure on that kid then, is it? No, nah, <laughs> in this country, I haven't got that many Olympic gold medals. It's no. just insane. Yeah. yeah. No, nah, it's been really lucky. So we'll wrap that and on to the next one, eh? 
So we hope you really enjoyed that, guys. If you can just give us some feedback, whether it's on Instagram or Twitter, anywhere you want, really, or LinkedIn, and share the message. We really want to get these messages out there that can really help people at the moment. We've got a lot of things going on in 2022 in the world right now, and we just want to provide that little bit of perspective and that maybe a little bit of escapism. So come and follow, come and engage. We're on all the social media channels. Just come and engage with us, and we look forward to seeing you at the next one very soon. Cheers, Ed. Cheers, everyone. Catch you next time. Hey guys, thanks for listening in. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Come and follow us on social media. Just search for Pursuit Line on your preferred platform. We're on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter and LinkedIn. Interact with us and let us know your thoughts. Catch you next time.